We love the power and grace of athletes, artists, CEOs, and high achievers with their zest and grit. But have you ever wondered how they cut through all the distractions, harness their energy, and get them to flow to achieve their goals? And what do they do with the money that comes their way? I'm Darren Wright, author of Peak Financial Fitness. Join me on a fascinating journey to gain a peek into the intersection of high-performing people and everyday financial life. There will be highs and lows and inspiring stories for you to achieve your goals. Hey, thanks for tuning in. And I've got my great friend, Dave Scatchard in the house. Welcome, Dave Scatchard, otherwise known as Scatch. Yeah, thanks, buddy. I appreciate the intro. Stoked to be here and uh, ready to crush it. Yeah, well, uh, Dave is a super high-energy friend, uh, coach, and all-around role model. And uh, spent 14 years in the NHL, and uh, we met through our mutual friend Ian LePayton. We were out; uh, I was with Ian, and he's like, "You got to meet this guy, Dave. You guys are very simpatico. You both did an Ironman. Uh, you like golf. You're cool dudes." So we ended up planning around a golf, and then of course Ian wasn't able to make it. And for those you don't know, Ian's a, a the original spiritual gangster. But uh, so Dave and I uh, played a little golf, and um, you brought me your book, The Comeback, bestseller, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, great book. And uh, within it, you had a little, this is kind of your, your, your business card, so to speak. And we just had a great round. We hit it off, and uh, it's been fun getting to know you. Yeah, man. Like, just talk about divine appointments and divine uh, meetings. Uh, <laughs> Darren and I had, had, had been introduced through Ian. Ian can't even go to the golf course. So it's just Darren and I. And we hit it off on so many levels and he was working on so many cool things. And I've been fortunate that I've uh, got to play at a bunch of different businesses and arenas and entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, um, just just making stuff happen. And I knew Darren was on that same path. So right away, like he was almost instant where I'm like, this is one of my boys. You know, he's like being at uh, the fact. Anybody that does Ironmans, uh, I know they got they got a fighter in them. They're they're uh, they'll never quit, and that's who I want to surround myself with. So you know, we're not even into the whole uh, starting of this thing, but but you're the sum of of your peer group, and uh, you know it, it's ideal to surround yourself with just savages. And I look <laughs> at Darren, I'm like, all right, this this guy can hang. He's one of my boys. So uh, we've just had a great time getting to know each other the last uh, few months. Well, it's been, it's been, it was funny too, because we spent three and a half hours on the golf course and then we had lunch in the grill and, um, I was not expecting to add another coach into my life. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to add another client into my rotation. Yeah. It's, uh, so I have, uh, and I told you this, I've got, uh, Jean-Marie Mudd, uh, who is at uh, Canyon Ranch. Um, and she's got her own coaching program and she's been helping me for over a year just with some cool kind of guidance. And, uh, and then I simultaneously signed up for Stephen Cutler's program, the Flow Research Collective. And then within the same two weeks, I signed up with you. <laughs> so I've been off and on with the coaches my whole life. Um, you know, Dan Sullivan and and I could just go on and on. I've spent probably over a million dollars on coaches over my life. So have I. Have you? Yeah. Uh, and you? and it's not a bragging point, but it's a point about the importance of coaching and uh, and how 
continuing to put good things in in your mind and in your day-to-day activities uh, you could ask me what my return on my million dollars is and I would tell you not only is it quantifiably you know oof, I don't know five six seven X that about what I've made since I've invested in myself but also my human condition my vibration my understanding of life and why we're here and my um, healing of my body. If you read my book, The Comeback, My Journey Through Heaven and Hell, I talk about, you know, being so broken that I wanted to kill myself. And, you know, I'm the most positive person. I love life. I love everything about it. But I felt so broken and I felt like nothing was working. Uh, my brain wasn't working. I had bleeding in my brain. I, I was in massive pain with migraines, headaches, and I couldn't play with my kids. I couldn't, I couldn't work. I couldn't exercise. I was fat, out of shape, trying to drink to numb the pain. And, uh, you know, when it gets that desperate, you'll do anything to fight your way out of it. And, and I spent three years at the Mayo Clinic working with the best doctors in the world, having a hope that they're the ones that could fix me. And at the end of three years, they said, I'm sorry, Dave, you're just permanently disabled and you're going to have issues the rest of your life. And I was 36 years old. I walk out, I'm sitting in my car just crying and afraid to tell my wife what they told me. And at the time I was on Alzheimer's medicine because I had no memory. I was on Ambien to try to help me to sleep. They were giving me Adderall to help my brain focus. They had me so on so much crap that my body didn't know if it was coming or going. And, and I'd leave there with my one hope that they were going to fix it all gone. And it was like, it got dark real fast. And I just was like cursing God. I'm just like, I don't know where you are, why you're punishing me. I felt like I was being punished. I don't know if anybody out there has felt like that, but sometimes you feel like life's punishing you. And that's not the case. I, I later learned that I was being trained and I was, and God revealed to me that I was being trained and I could understand what depression felt like or what hopelessness felt like or what um, pain so dark that you don't think it's ever going to end feels like because of the people that I was going to help in the future. And it was revealed to me that God said to me, I'm sorry that I had to put you through that, but you're going to help people that are coming to you in all different walks of life and different um, areas of life. Some will be thriving and some will be trying to survive. And uh, I truly believe that that was a blessing <laughs> that I felt those things because I had had a pretty good trajectory to the NHL. It was hard and I overcame tons of obstacles along the way, but like I made it when I was 21 and I, I was in the best league in the world when I'm 700 people doing that job in the world and I was rocking it. And I, I see it's my captain and like all these cool things. So that I learned the highest of the highs and then I think to be good at my job now, I felt the lowest of the lows. And and now I can relate to a client where they tell me, hey, man, I don't know what's going on. Something weird's going on. I'm freaking out. And I'm like, yeah, man, been there. I get it. I understand completely. And I can, I can go to where they are and coach them out of those places. And some are the people trying to make an extra million or $5 million and other people are just trying to like get their They're in. And it's okay. We all go through stuff. And if anybody tells you they don't ever go through stuff, they're lying. So I have no judgment. I believe it's made me a better human being, a better dad, have more compassion, understanding, and uh, 
kind of understand the complexities of this journey that we're on and trying to make something special out of it. Well, that's pretty powerful. And and I got to remember that not everybody's watching and some people are listening. So it is Dave Scatcher, The Comeback, My Journey Through Heaven and Hell. And it is a phenomenal book. And uh, when did you learn, Dave, that um, when you're going through that, that, that you had a higher purpose and a higher calling? When did that that revelation hit you. Uh, I I remember being driving to my first ever Tony Robbins event after I got the diagnosis about the permanent disability. After I got all these <laughs> hopes taken away, I knew that I had to find an answer somehow. And I'm like, I don't care what it costs. I don't care where I got to go. There's got to be some somebody or something out there that can my headaches go away, help me, uh, my brain clear up, help me be able to exercise again one day. Like, here's the thing, okay? This is why I don't really believe in diagnosis because my ecosystem is different than yours. So when a doctor tells a kid that he's ADD, he'll put on medicine or all this bullshit, right? I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that there is a natural way to work itself out. You just haven't found it yet. And and that's the thing is you got to be willing to try stuff. I have worked with grandmasters, learning 5,000-year-old Chinese medicine. I've, I've, I've worked with shaman, uh, healers, energy workers, um, you know, life coaches. I joined Tony's Platinum Partnership Group, and I was part of that for two years. And Tony was one that recommended they get into coaching, but when did I realize that I had a higher purpose? Is that the question? Yes. Um, okay. I put it in the book, but there was a point where Tony knew that I was on my journey out of the pit. Like I was starting to feel a little bit better. I was starting, the lights were starting to turn back on. I was able to be in rooms with lots of noise and bright lights and sound and stuff where I couldn't before. And he called me out in front of a room of like 3,000 people and he said, Hey, you're being selfish. And I was like, I was in the front row, minding my own business, taking my little notes like I always take them. And he called me on for everybody. He's like, you, you're a selfish asshole. And I like, me? Like, I love everybody. I love life. I'm the least selfish person that I know. But he knew that to get my attention, he had to, you know, interrupt my pattern. So he's got my full attention now. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, with your 14 years in the NHL, with your multiple businesses you've grown, with your journey out of this pit that you've been in with your head and try to rebuild your life and stuff, he goes, you don't think you could help people? Like you're making it all about you. You're afraid to put yourself out there. You're trying to get the perfect logo. You're trying to get the perfect LLC. You want to get the right coaching certificate. He's like, fuck that. He's like, you need to get out there, start putting yourself out there, start helping people because right now people need you in this room. People that want to kill themselves might be helped by you, but right now they don't know you, you exist. You're like hiding. And he called me a monk in my cave because I was doing a lot of meditation work at that time. And like, I would, I would go there to escape my reality. And he's like, this is, this is why you're back here. This is why you got a second shot at life to help other people. This, this second round has nothing to do with you. And I was like, well, so he, he made the audience raise their hand. He goes, how many people would like to be coached by somebody that's got professional athleticism experience, compassion and understanding, and they're, they've figured out a way out of hell? How many people would like that? Like the whole room raised their hand. He goes, 
is your people. Just stop being a pussy. Go. And I was like, wow. And I apologize for the curse words, but honestly, um, it's, it's so sometimes curse words uh, just fit. Said, you know, there's there may not be another word that is appropriate other than that specific word. Correct. And I'm just repeating what he said. But sometimes, in order to interrupt somebody's pattern and to hammer home a point, I'll throw that in. And yes, I have locker room. I grew up in a hockey locker room since I was five years old. So that's in my vocabulary. But I, I'm very clear with kids and stuff when I work with them. I don't curse or anything. But when I work with adults, sometimes you got to throw in a little F-bomb once in a while to switch it up and to kind of wake them up. And, you know, I don't apologize for it very often. I don't know what the rules are on this podcast. No rules. So there's no rules. Okay, great. But yeah, man, that's... that's ask, uh, uh, I like to just uh, subscribe to and ask forgiveness Rather permission, permission. Yeah. at least in this room. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, that was that was the moment that I knew that that listen, the accident, the 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 fifth concussion happened on purpose. I would never, I would have just kept trying to be a hockey player until it was taken away from me. And God was almost like moving me from like, okay, you did that. Now you got a soapbox to, to preach from. Now you go here and you do the thing that you're really meant to do. Right and. It's a weird transition, but this is the one thing that lights me up more than even playing that NHL is where I have an incredible call or an incredible group session or I'm on stage speaking somewhere or somebody writes a letter to me about how my book changed their life or saved their life. That gives me goosebumps all over my body. I just, I love it. And it's kind of, it's kind of uh, the only thing that I felt that is just a massive high when I, when I'm able to help somebody authentically, you know. I'm sure you'll understand that in the work that you do. Yeah, well, it sounds like uh, you are where you are meant to be. Yeah, and I'm grateful for it. Like, that's the thing, okay? I could have accepted the diagnosis, and if I'm just disabled, I stay there, and I have every excuse in the book for people to feel sorry for me and give me fake love and all that. I could stay there. Oh, he's the disabled guy. Okay, sorry, Dave. Bad luck you got. I could have stayed there. Lots of people do. I'm this way because I'm ADD. I have this learning disability, I'm dyslexic, I'm this, I'm that. You can choose that if you want, or you can be a fighter. I'm like, I refuse to accept that diagnosis. No matter what they're saying to me, I refuse to accept it because I believe that there's more in me. I believe that there's an animal that needs to come out and play and play hard. I want to live this life as hard as I can and play as hard as I can and soak up as much as I can about why I'm here, what I'm doing, and how to have the most fun and and live authentically and honestly and like show up for people in an authentic way that that they feel and and to do my role as a as a human. I'm not just a taker. I'm a I'm a giver. And if I can give more, I know that stuff will come back to me. So it's almost this opposite. Uh I think there's a book called The Upside Down Kingdom. It's almost explaining like, you know, the way we all value things materialistically and stuff is actually the flip-flop. It's we're doing it backwards. So what if you gave first and then expected, you know, the exchange of value later? And I truly teach that to everybody is like, give first, give good stuff, teach good, good things to people. And they'll want to work with you. They'll want to date you. They'll want to be in love with you. But if you're trying to take from people all the time, it doesn't work like that. That's not, it needs to be balanced. So I'd rather give first and I'm not, even if nothing comes back right away, it's okay. I know that eventually it will. So I just give as much as I can and it's working out pretty well. Well, that's a universal law, you know, for sure. And you definitely, 
strike me as someone that uh, I like to use uh, the term Toltec warrior from the Four Agreements book. Uh, you have that Toltec warrior mentality that that I appreciate. Um, I think it's a little bit like a spiritual gangster mentality. You um, you put things out there. You've got an abundant way of being, and I uh, recognize that early on with you. And uh, I think this is really powerful. Be- what you were talking about, Dave, because here you are, you had 14 years in the NHL. I mean, what's the average duration, what's the average tenure of someone in the NHL today? It's got to be less than that. Yeah, well, I remember when, back in the day, back in um, probably the late 80s, I was a young boy and I wanted to make the NHL. And uh, I did a book report on my odds of making the NHL. And there's this book called, a terrible book. <laughs> well, it wasn't terrible, but... Nobody knows it. It was called Many Are Called, Few Are Signed. And it was about your odds of making the NHL. And I was this little boy in this coal mining town in Canada. And I told my dad I wanted to be in the NHL. And he's like, okay, what do you what do you know about that? I'm like, I don't know anything. He goes, what do you think your odds are? I'm like, I don't know. And somehow he found me the book. So here I am, this little boy. I read the book. And I think it said the average career was 2.5 years. This is back in then. Now with medicine and surgeries and stuff, it's probably a little higher. But it's not very long. There's a lot of people that come and go through that league that nobody really. Tries. You think it's maybe four years? Sure, maybe four, maybe. maybe. I mean, and you did fourteen. Yeah, man. so about three times the. Yeah, maybe more. Maybe. I was very, very blessed. I had, I had great teammates. I really every year was really fun, but I was never really a major, major superstar where I could take my foot off the gas. And I had to, I had to be fighting for my job every year because, think about it. Out of seven or eight billion people, at the time there were seven hundred jobs. Like, what are those odds? Not everybody's a hockey player, but still, what are those odds? Like, it's one in millions. And here I am, this little tiny skinny kid from Hinton, Alberta, Canada, the coal miner dad and a stay-at-home mom. Don't have much money. Everything we have goes out the door to support the kids and their sports and stuff. And I just believed, I believed, I believed more than anybody ever would. And I had so many people tell me to get a backup plan and to, and my father was so amazing. And I read a lot about him in the book and he's in heaven now, but um, he'd just tell me, okay, well, what do you think you got to do to get that? I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, what do you think you're lacking? And you got to picture this, okay? I'm probably 110 pounds. I'm five foot nothing. And he's asking me to close. Declare a gap. I call it a gap between where I am and where I want to go. And these NHL players are averaging about six foot one, six foot two, probably two hundred ten pounds. So I got about a hundred pounds to make up. I got to grow taller. I have to learn how to skate like an NHLer. I have to shoot like an NHLer. I have to become mentally and physically stronger. So they start creating this list of all these things. It's okay. What's one thing that you think that you could do every day that would bring you closer to that? And the easiest thing for me to think of was like shooting pucks in my backyard. So he goes, okay, why don't you make a promise to yourself that you're going to shoot a hundred pucks every day? I said, sure. So I would go around after practice when the big kids would practice and I would collect all the pucks that got shot over the glass off the crossbar. And every day I'd come up with pockets full of pucks until I had like a hundred. And we had this little plastic sheet and I got a net for Christmas and every day rain, shine, snow, sleet, freezing cold, boiling hot, I would make sure they shot my 100 bucks. And 
there'd be days where I'd have homework or forget or something. And my dad, so awesome the way he did it, he'd just be like, um, hey, he's like, how did the shots go today? Oh, dad, I forgot. He's like, oh, okay. And just look at me like, okay, I'll go shoot after dinner. And I started to become addicted to it. It was like an addiction where I have to do 25 shots off the left post and then before I could go eat dinner and I'd get 24 and I'd miss and I have to start all over at zero and do it again. And I was like a little bit obsessive compulsive with it, but I believe that's another thing like diagnose me with obsessive compulsive, please. Cause I will do things beyond what a normal human being would do. I believe a lot of athletes have a tiny bit of that in them where they would rather than anybody else would stop by now. And for some reason you got to do it right. You got to do it perfect. You got to do it a hundred times. You got to do it 50 times. You gotta do... And that was how I was. And then I asked for ankle weights for Christmas. So I, I get ankle weights and I wear them and I'm a little boy, mind you. I wear them up and down my stairs. I'm running up and down my stairs thinking my legs are getting stronger <laughs> the night before Christmas because we're allowed to open up one gift and I had this really heavy gift. So I, I figured it was ankle weights. I'd wear them on my bicycle when I'd pedal. And then I would wear them during delivering my paper route one, you know, paper route. Then eventually I asked for rollerblades. So like all these things, I was slowly catching up and doing stuff no other kids were doing. And the gap was getting bigger from where the kids I was playing with. And I was playing with kids two years older than me as well. So I was gaining on all of them. I was passing them. Plus I was closing the gap towards my ultimate goal of being in the NHL. So I remember when I finally made it and one of the guys was up there doing a roast for me at, at my hometown in Santa British Columbia later. And uh, he's like, yeah, we used to make fun of Dave wearing his ankle ankle weights over his skates or wearing a backpack full of weights during practice. But uh, I got, I guess he's the one that's laughing now because he made it and none of us did. So maybe he was on to something. I took that as like the biggest compliment because you're not always going to fit in when you're doing epic stuff. You're kind of going to be an outlier. But I knew that the work would be worth it when I made it. I just knew in my heart. And I never stopped believing that. Like everything, injuries, like massive injuries. I had to get four surgeries on my heels the year after I got drafted. And they said I might never play again. I got mono during my draft year, but still I ended up getting drafted 42nd overall in the world. I finished first overall in the world in central scouting testing, which is like the NFL combine. After having all these things go wrong with my body and and sicknesses and things like that. And just because I kept training through it all. And I, like, it just built this resilience in me where like, there's not a lot that I don't believe I can do now. And that's where the Ironman thing came in. I'd never done a race ever. And I'm like, what if I did an Ironman? What if I don't just do like a half Ironman? What if I do the longest Ironman that I could find and just like go after it and see if I can do it? What an inspiration I'd be to my kids to my clients. And the coolest thing, I don't want to forget to say this, I'm going to say it now. Um, one of my mentors, Donnie Epstein, who's one of Tony Robbins' healers, I called him because I was having some issues with my Achilles tendon. I go, Donnie, I go, I need some healing on my on my Achilles. What should I do? And he goes, oh, don't worry about that. Well, I know that. He goes, who are you doing this race for? And I said, well, I think I'll, I'll do it for my kids and my clients. And he's He's like, okay, that's okay, but you're not going to make it. It's got to be bigger than that. I go, what do you mean? And he goes, if you're asking for enough energy to inspire your kids or your clients, you're going to get this much energy. And it, for those of you who are listening, my hands are about like 12 inches apart. When you're asking to complete a race this 
long, 12 to 17 hours of racing, I need to have unlimited, unbound, un, unstoppable amounts of energy. So my goal has to be so big that there's no way in hell that I can do it myself. I need help from organizing intelligence of the universe, God, whatever you want to call it. So he said, you have to understand that you're creating a new pathway for humanity and that each stride you take, each stroke that you take, each bike pedal that you take, you're blazing a new pathway for humanity and creating a pathway for others to follow in your footsteps. So the whole race, I was visualizing that and I literally never got tired. I never cramped up. I had the most beautiful race. It was like being in a meditative state for 12 hours and 15 minutes, I think my time was, something like that. And I'd never done anything like it. I didn't know it was possible. So you can do the impossible easily in flow using your language and you tune into something bigger than you. And that's what I'm shooting for with me, with my clients, with everybody. Let's go to a higher dimension where you're swimming downstream instead of swimming up current. Where you're in the slipstream instead of like flying where everybody else is flying. Because you see the Jordans and the and the you know Tiger Woods and these guys when they're in the zone, like nobody can touch them. It's like another level. So what if you could live there? And that's it's kind of the, the philosophy that I have is like, what if we can get to that state and live there? I don't believe it should be a once in a blue moon opportunity. I believe that when you vibrate at the higher frequency, when you can raise the antenna to tune into that. The grandmaster told me there are 256 senses around the, the, the body. Each injury or trauma, they turn off. What well, my goal is to try to turn all those back on and really be able to just tune into the frequency that I need. And there's a frequency for abundance and there's a frequency for scarcity. Sure. What are you picking? Which one are you going to feed? Yeah, you get to pick. Which wolf are you going to feed? Yeah. Sorry to go so long. I just like, no. I want to get passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's something you, you, you touched on a lot of different things. I kind of want to go back and, and hit a, on a few things. But um, you talked about goals and having a massive goal, getting into the NHL. That was that was that your biggest goal? Yeah. At the time? Um, it was my, and here's another thing is like laser focus in one direction, you can move mountains. If you got 50 things in 15 different directions, the energy just gets too diffused to really make anything magical happen. Well, we were just talking about that when you sat down, how getting this whole podcast thing going, I'd never done a podcast until this year. And I think you are number eight or nine this year. I'm honored. Hey, thanks for coming. I'm honored. Okay. <laughs> And uh, just learning so much, like which microphones to pick, which headphones, the video, the audio, all the components. And for those of you that have listened to a few of the other podcasts, like Marv Lewis, who is in here, you know, what are the chances? But I, this is our home studio, not my office. And, um, and so I didn't realize my wife had planned some windows to be replaced. So there's drilling and hammering going on. And it took me three months to coordinate with Marv to get him in here. And so we just decided to power through it. Mm -hmm. And literally it's like terrible audio. And then when Ian was in here, super bummed also the audio was off and it was just really scratchy. It's hard to listen to. So, uh, but you know, you just kind of, you keep going. But I guess the point is when I was talking to you a little bit about it, you know, I've got this book, my book drops, um, we have a date now, October 13th. Super excited about that. Yeah, um, me too. It's going to be awesome. You know, that and then the podcast and then my normal business where I'm, 
you know, coaching people's success, helping them achieve their financial goals and having that, that family office that we have. There was just, a, there was a lot going on and trying to pull it all together. I was super diffused. And I told you, I'm just feeling really overwhelmed. And everybody's wired a little differently out there. Some people, I mean, I, you know, Alex, who's over here in the corner, she'll tell everybody, I can, I can spend a lot of plates. I can manage a lot of things. But sometimes it gets to a point where it's, uh, it's, it can be too much. It can be overload. And uh, so it can really cause a lot of problems for people. So that focus that you talked about, um, really being a warrior monk on your schedule, getting everything organized, picking the highest priority action item and going after it. It's just un- unbelievable that the positive results that can happen when you actually pick and choose and focus. Yeah, man. I, I just, something just came to me and like, whenever I have a client who's having trouble getting focused, I say to them, and I hate to use these analogies, but they're, they're, they're amazing at work. I say, if your family was trapped in a burning building and you had 30 days to get your book done, you had 10 days to get this podcast launched. If you had five days to get your house organized or else they burn to death, could you get it done? Every time. It's a matter of prioritization. It's a matter of urgency. You would drop everything in your life to make sure your family stays safe to get that job done. So why do we not do that for ourselves? Because some of us are in burning buildings right now. Some of your buildings are burning and you're fucking around. Pardon my language. I'm going to stop saying that because I mean it. And 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 something needs to shift. If it the same actions, if you expect different actions with the same results, you're crazy because it doesn't work. You, you need to bring in more energy or different quality of energy, different level of focus or commitment or determination to make the needle move. Sometimes it means cutting everything else off. It could be people, it could be bad habits, it could be more sleep, it could be better diet, it could be no alcohol, whatever your stuff is, it's not aligned. It's it's not letting you go as fast as you can go. Well, so- a lot of times, you know, uh, being a high achiever, and, and you being a, a professional athlete and a high achiever yourself, high performer, you tend to stack things on and you just take them on and you just go, go, go. And then you can reach a point where you're, you just reach that arc, the top of the arc, and you, your energy has been depleted. And then you're actually having a negative effect. You're not, you're not moving towards your goals. So you're moving fast. And sometimes you need to move slow to get smooth. And as you get smoother, you get into flow. And then when you get into flow, that's that effortlessness that helps you achieve those goals quicker and more effectively. So that that balance, what happened after I was talking to you is I started practicing a little bit, just got caught up in the moment, trying to get all everything done at the same time. And so I started practicing a little bit of what I've learned through the Flow Research Collective and Stephen Cutler's group, which it's information we already knew. But you got to step back. You know, for me, it's daily meditation and picking a certain timeline in my calendar to focus on certain activities. And then once I get beyond that calendar time, I, I turn it off. Yeah, it's time blocking. And very few people do it. It's strange. But when I really have to be dialed, I have like exact minutes that I'm going to spend on something. And when that timeline's done, I have to move on to the next project or kill it. Like, and, and it, it, 
just simplifies it. I know that there's no wiggle room. This is what I'm doing. This is the plan. And as long as I keep, this is a great story. I think it's Keith Cunningham, a business coach that I heard say this. Uh, he said, if, if I, if I asked you, if you could grab a soda can and throw it five miles in the air down the road, you wouldn't be able to do it. It wouldn't make it. But if I asked you to step on it and crumple it up and just keep kicking the can down the road for mile after mile until you got it down there, could you do it? Yeah, it'd take a while, but you'd keep kicking it, keep moving it forward. You keep advancing it until eventually you kicked it all the way to the finish line, right? You could yep. do that. Well, some people want their business or their money or their love or their whatever to be the one-time throw and it's done and it's like side seal delivered McDonald's and Amazon Prime, whatever you want to call it. Let's talk about a process and something you can do every day. So hitting 100 pucks every day and, and really doing that well. So that's something that's 100% in your control. It's not in your 100% control to make it to the NHL. That's a that's a, a, a small infinitesimal percentage of the people that want to get there, get there, right? Mm -hmm. But what is in everyone's control is a day-to-day -day, uh, performance and what they can do from a process standpoint. Nick Saban talks about that in coaching Alabama. You know, he's like, every player does what they're supposed to do and focuses on what they need to do every single day in the process, we're going to win. We're going to win all the time. We're going to win the national championship. Yeah. So it's it's that. I think that's really effective for people because we all have goals, or most of us have goals. If you're listening to this, you're a goal-oriented type of person. And uh, you get caught up. You got to have, you got to have, think big, you know, that big moonshot uh, thinking, which a lot of people are afraid of, right? They they think, oh, I'll, I'm, I'm not even going to think about going to the NHL because it's so unlikely that there's a, I think it's called cognitive dissonance. Yeah. It's like a rational brain going, Hey, we're, no, we're not, we're not doing that. Yeah. Who are you to do that? Like you almost have to override the rational brain with the irrational thoughts because that's the only one that can really do anything big. Rational brain or the survivor brain just wants to keep you safe and keep you small and not let you get hurt and keep you average. That's what we're designed for. We're not designed to go and create all this magic and do all these things. It's like literally if you're looking at like a like a caveman brain, it's like, okay, eat, kill, have a shelter, stay warm, and do that over and over again. Like it's not it's not much more than that. But we're capable of so much more than that if you can override that little voice that talks you in your head and tells you it's you're not good enough, it's impossible. Who am I to do that? I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. Only my circumstances. It'll give you every reason in the book why you won't do it. But if you start asking better questions and saying like, how can I figure this out? Like, there's got to be a way. Who knows how to do this? Let's go get in their vicinity or their field and learn from them. What coach could coach me and tell me what to expect on the way up? What team could help me be seen by scouts? What you know, podcast could promote me or my book or my whatever to get me to the next level. Like these are better questions to ask than like, what's wrong with me? Or how come I can't get it done? Well, if you ask those questions, it'll tell you, you can't get it done because this, 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 right? Well, you're, you're already thinking of what you don't want and you're kind of being pitiful as well. And I don't mean any disrespect because, right. you know, I think everyone has those thoughts, you know, woe is me or, or why is it this way or, uh, I don't want but, this. But I think looking at the reward at the end and understanding that all the pain, all the suffering, all the 
bag skates, all the weight training, all the sprints, all the line back end to end, you know, all the blisters on things. It it's gonna be so worth it when I make it. It's gonna be so special when I see my jersey hanging in my stall and I walk in and I'm sitting beside Mark Messi and Alexander McGillney. And I know I'm going to play my first game in the NHL. And I got goosebumps all over my body. I'm like, holy smokes. Like, how am I here? How, how did this all happen? And I uh, manifested it. And I've done it over and over and over again to become a bestseller, to become an Ironman, to sell a million dollars in a marketing sales funnel with my, with my two comma club award, to become one of the best coaches in the world, to, to make and play in the NHL. Like, these are all impossible sort of feats for somebody with my background. And my family life and my circumstances. Nobody did anything like that. And I've done them over and over and over and over again. So what's the pattern? How do we do it? You know, I was thinking earlier when we were talking and one of the best pieces of advice, you're talking about controlling what you can control. I asked Tim Hunter, this veteran NHL tough guy, they were playing in the playoffs. I was just drafted. They brought me up to watch the team during playoffs. And I was kind of like, Vancouver went to the finals that year. So I had to spend a little bit of time. I wasn't an NHL yet. I was this young kid. I said, excuse me, Mr. Hunter. Scratch these in the gym working out. I go, Mr. Hunter, uh, Dave Scatcher, nice to meet you. Uh, listen, I just, I'm just here. Like, I'd love to ask you some questions. He's like, yeah, man, what do you got? And I go, well, what do I got to do to make it? Like, how did you make it? Or what's some advice you'd have for like a 17-year-old kid like myself? He's like, well, he's like, you're not going to be able to control who likes you, what scouts like you, what line you play on. The only thing you can really control is showing up like a pro every day and coming into the best shape of your life. If you know you're in good shape, you can learn how to play hockey. You can at least give yourself a shot. If you don't come in great shape or the best shape on the team, you're already behind the eight ball. You're a young kid. You got to be on another level with your training and with your physicality and with your... And a couple of years later, I was on the team and I finished first in the training camp for fitness testing it was from those one the one word that he said to me about controlling what I can control. You know, I there's so many stories like that where there are so many better players than me, so many better players. And it when it got hard. And I literally would see them just drop off and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that guy quit or he didn't even give himself a shot or he was so close. He didn't know how good he was, like had no confidence. Second uh, you know, um, it got tough. They pack it in. And I'm like, well, there's one less guy I got to worry about. And I was just picking them off one at a time. And I'm like, then my brain started to get really, really strong, like Goggins style, you know? And I'm like, hey, like, nobody's going to stop me. I'm going to outwork everybody. I'm going to outfight everybody. I'm going to literally create a spot for myself on this team. I don't care how much pain I got to go through. And something magical shifts when you go to that level of commitment whether you're doing a podcast, whether you're writing a book, whether you're just doing your business, whether you're trying to save your marriage, it's like, I'm going to do whatever it takes and I'm not going to stop until it gets done. When you commit to that level, I believe that you get granted extra access to more energy that you didn't have quite before to get the job done. And I believe you can create anything, but it's, it's all in mentality. It's like you're willing to die for your cause, which is pretty extreme, but that's kind of how you have to think about it is like, I will do whatever it takes. Some similarities coming from you as a uh, NHL stud, as well as all the other accomplishments that you've had, Dave. Uh, when uh, I think back to Allison Schmidt, who was one of our first early guests on here, she still holds the Olympic 
record for the 200-meter uh, free. Amazing. And uh, she was a two-time Olympic uh, captain of the U.S. Olympic team. So but when I asked her to – well, before I tell you this, what's one word, if you had to give us one word that would sum up your body of work, what would that one word be for you? The first word that came to me was hungry. You know, if you're hungry, you got to eat. Like, I will I will not stop. I won't start. I will win eventually. It might not be right away, but, like, I'll push beyond anything that anybody else pushes at. Another thing is, like, I committed. Like, when I commit to something, it happens. It's all in. It's every essence of my body. That's why, like, I have to be careful. That's why I don't do drugs and stuff, because, like, I would I go all in on something. I go, I go really all in. I'm going to be the best at it. <laughs> so, you know, um, I love I love going to the max with everything and seeing what the hell happens. Like, I don't know my edges unless I find them. That was what I loved about the Ironman race. That's what I le- learned. I learned more from my training, actually, than my Ironman race. The Ironman race was somehow magically beautiful. Where I felt no pain. I was in the zone. It was literally like a dream. My training, there were training runs I was on. I honestly thought I was going to have a heart attack. I remember it was so hot one day, and it was probably like 100, and I got a late start on my run. Usually I'd run at 4 o'clock in the morning. I didn't get out until like 6 or 7 in the morning. It was like 95, 96, 97. It started to get hot, and I decided to try to break 16 miles and do it in under a 10-minute mile pace. And I'm not a super fast runner. I'm, I was 240 pounds. Looks like a hippopotamus running down the road. But I got home. And my heart was racing so bad. I literally collapsed on my floor. I couldn't make it to my cold tub to cool off. My poor dog came and laid on me because he thought I was dying. Nobody was home. And I was just panting. And I was like, I might, I might have a <laughs> I might have a jammer right now because I pushed. I wanted to break that 10-minute mark. Nobody's watching me. I did all my training in the dark normally in the planks in Arizona in the summers because it's so hot. I don't get an audible or a pat on the back. You know how it is. It's a lonely thing, especially if you don't have a team to train with. So I learned more about myself and what I'm capable of doing and doing things beyond. I've never ridden my bike 100 miles before. I never ran a full marathon before. I never swam 2.4 miles or whatever it is. I never done any of those things, in, even in my trainings. So for me to do it back to back to back in a race and do it kind of easily, I don't want to jinx myself, but like it was... I was in the zone. Uh, I was in flow. I asked myself, well, what other potential do I have that I haven't experienced yet? And why don't we take a shot? I've skydived. I've done all kinds of crazy stuff because I want to feel light. Like I want to experience it. If you're going through numb or like neutral energy or whatever, you're missing a whole bunch of cool stuff that this world has to offer. And I want to, I love travel. I want to make this world my playground. I want to understand all these different cultures and people and like life because our way isn't the only way and there's sometimes better ways. I want to feel it all, man. And it's like, I encourage everyone like your peak financial fitness and those types of things, it gives you options. Like money is good. Like money can help people. Money can give you opportunity. It can create a legacy for your family. Like these people, you know, we all have these limiting beliefs about money, but when you're really like, able to do something special for people, it feels really good. And retiring my dad, at, I was 21 when I <laughs> I wrote this story in the book where I gave him $100,000 cash and I wrapped up like potatoes in uh gave, gave to my mom to grill for his birthday. 
And my dad never had a hundred dollar bill. I never saw my dad have a hundred dollar bill his whole life. And he, there are some potatoes in the mix, but he's throwing up these wrapped up stacks of $10,000 bills and he's throwing them on the grill. And I started laughing and I'm like, Hey dad, you might want to check the potatoes. He's like, no man, I, they're fine. I just put them on. I'm like, no, he definitely wanted to check the potatoes. He's like, Dave, why are you saying that? They're fine. I go take your pork. And he's like, taking it. And he's like, well, this feels weird. Yeah, you better check that one. He like unwraps the foil and there's a stack of 10,000 wrapped up. And he's like, "What? what's going on here? And I started laughing and I go, hey, buddy, you're done. No more hour and a half drives to work. No more drive on these dangerous highways. You're done work. I got you. You're on payroll now. He's like, what do you mean? And then he just burst into tears. I never saw my dad cry. He burst into tears. He's like, like, who would have thought my kid would take care of me? And every time I think about that, I realize like it was all worth it. And I would never have been able to do that or live this magical life or provide for my family or my kids or any of that if I if I quit. And I can tell you five different points in my life where everything was pointing to me quitting. It would have been so much easier than grinding it out. Well, you're a great example of resiliency and putting your head down and commitment, uh, grit, uh, you use the word hunger, which obviously uh, speaks volumes. And you're definitely that way. Uh, when you have, you're currently working with me and helping me, uh, you know, grow. And I can see the hunger and the commitment there. But, you know, when I think about like uh, some of the other words that I've heard other guests talk about, Allison Schmidt talked about support. Um, which gets, goes back to coaching, the benefits of coaching. And, um, you know, in um, Tim Grover's book, Relentless, where, you know, he was ended up being, was hired by Michael Jordan, of all people. I, mean, I just love that story, right? Who would ever think Michael Jordan needs a coach? In fact, Tim Grover, when he went around and he put the little flyers in all the Chicago Bulls lockers talking about his supplemental coaching program, he specifically excluded Michael Jordan's locker because he's like, who am I to that be dumb? I'm not going to put this flyer in Michael Jordan, Jordan's locker. The only guy that called him was Michael Jordan. Yeah. And then they have this lifetime lifetime uh, relationship. But when I, I've got another story about Michael that a friend of mine told me that knew Michael, and he said uh, Michael went. He was the best player in the NBA, and the next year he went and hired this defensive coach. And they're like, Michael, what are you doing? You're the best player. And he's like, well, not defensively, I'm not. And I think he won the defense player. It's a player the very next year. I remember that. I've been doing a Bulls fan. Yeah, so if it's okay for Michael Jordan to do it, who are we not to do it? And I commend you, like when you came, you know, when we started working together, like you've got a great life. You've created a lot of great things. You're helping people in an incredible way. You're super smart. They're lucky to be in an incredible white glove service program. And that... That is incredible, but you're hungry. You're still learning. Like you're not sitting back. You're writing books. You're doing podcasts. Like you're out there hustling. Like you got a good life. You could pack it in today and everything's great. Okay. And and you're going to be comfortable, but you're like me where you just know you're built for more. And I believe a lot of our listeners are know that there's something more for them. They're built for more. There's got to be more for me than this. And What's funny is like these struggles we go through as entrepreneurs, it's kind of lonely sometimes. Like you're trying to figure stuff out. But then when you when you get there, there's this like special group that's waiting for you at the top. It's kind of like, hey, you're one of us. Like I got you. 
What do you need help with? Well, I mean, I, you know, there are people out there that haven't had that spark yet, or maybe the spark is, has, has dimmed, the light is dimmed. And so they, they reach a level of success. They're kind of coasting and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm good. Um, and that's fine. Or they've sold their business or they've, you know, they sold this or that and they've had an economic event. And they're kind of like just kind of coasting. And again, that's fine. It's not a judgment at all. But I think what's exciting is that if they uh, were to slow down, think a little bit. And it doesn't have to be a monetary, a financial goal. It could just be something like um, use the term death as your teacher. If you're on your deathbed, or actually a better way of putting it is death knocks on your door and he says, uh, I'm coming back tomorrow in 24 hours to take you with me. And uh, you're like, oh, I'm okay. And then he comes and knocks on the door uh, 24 hours later. He goes, all right, it's time to go, Dave. And you go, I just need one more day. And he goes, I gave you 40 plus years. Yeah. What'd you do with them? Yeah. And so it's, you know, all of a sudden, if you can slow down, think about it, Maybe there's something differently you different you want to do. Maybe it's philanthropic, a deeper relationship. How many best friends do you have? A best friend? Do you know? Do you need to go a little deeper? Um, and those it just may take time. It does. It's not about stacking up more numbers. Um, so, I think that hearing someone like you that's inspiring, you know, green and growing, pushing, uh, can make an impact on a lot of people that that are listening. Well, I feel the same way about you, and it's like. The more that I get around like high achievers, like they're always working on something. They always got a little something they're working on. You know, oh, you had an exit strategy for 50 million. Great. What are you doing now? Actually, I'm working. I'm helping out this young guy, but I think I'm going to partner with them. And I think we can get that business. Like they're already on to the next thing. They're not like, hey, let's go to Hawaii and chill for the rest of our lives. It's not like that. And quite honestly, I heard Tony tell me this multiple times is like the big dogs, when they would retire, there, there would be something like weird happen, like a relationship breakup, uh, on health issues, um, depression, <laughs> because they're not in the game. Like that energy and that frequency that they were when they were playing the game at the highest level just drops into this other thing. And it's okay. I, I did this when I retired from hockey, my brain was so messed up. I couldn't even play golf or anything, but I did nothing for really a year or two. And part of it was cause I couldn't physically, but I thought that would be great until it wasn't. And like, I don't want to name any names, but I've coached some very famous athletes with a ton of money, $100 million in the bank. And they're like, want to end their lives. It's fucking crazy. It's not about the money. It's about like feeling alive and about playing and challenging yourself and growing and progress and momentum. Like momentum is so underrated. A lot of things that we do when we're doing coaching things is there's some little simple wins we can get right away just to get the momentum going in regular uh, uh, intervals that now the now we're starting to create the snowball effect. And you can imagine a snowball rolling down the mountain and it starts at the top kind of small, but as it picks up speed, collects more snow and it eventually becomes this beautiful, huge ball rolling down the mountain. That's that's what we want to create for, for our energy. Like imagine that avalanche of abundance of, of energy flowing down the mountain and just pouring into you or all those around you 
Magnetic so much energy that it goes through you, it goes through your family, it goes through your kids, into the schools, into the community, through your church, through whatever. And you know that you had something to do with bringing that light and showing up brighter in this world. Like, I think God would be ha happy and proud if that's all that you did. It doesn't have to be a number thing. It's about like, are you showing up as like a brighter version of yourself or the brightest version of yourself? Or are you choosing a lesser yeah, well, frequency? Very well said. And let's let's get back to so much I still want to talk to you about, but let's get back to when you were, you know, in your darkest uh, period. Talk a little bit about your journey back to um, peak health because you really strike me as someone today that's really at their peak or close to their peak and you've gone through a lot of work you, and you taught, touched on that, right? You've gone through a lot of work to get to where you are today. But but let's talk a little bit about that journey from, from where you were then to where you were today. I mean, this is a, I can talk and teach on this for, for days. Um, there were a bunch of different things that happened. Number one, um, the image that I had of myself after my injury I talk about it in the book. I had a near-death experience, but I actually left my body. I looked down on my body, and it was crumpled on the ice. Fast forward three years, I'm just getting out of the mail clinic. I'm doing, going to do all these this leadership program with Tony's group, and they were asking us what we'd like to change about ourselves. I like my health, okay? And then they're like, well, what do you see? And I said, oh, I see this crumpled athlete on the ground with the ambulance and being unconscious, like everybody working on me and on my spinal board and all this stuff. And they're like, well, what's the opposite of that? I'm like, 18 years old, I just finished first in the world in fitness fitness testing. I'm ripped. My shoulders are healthy. My knees, my back, my feet, everything's good. And then I'm doing this flip-flopping with the vision that's in my brain. And what had been lodged in my brain was this injured, damaged version of myself. So that's how I saw myself. Like I wasn't going to heal with that there. We started moving these images, playing with them in my mind about this healthy, strong image. It's called a swish pattern. I'd make the sound of the celebration of what that felt like being 18 and being drafted and doing so well. And then this other sound of the like the pain and how dark that got. And I was flip-flopping on I was doing this crazy psychological uh, uh, thing. Eventually, I lock in that clear, strong picture, the picture that I want, the thing that I want, and I lock it into the front of my brain, and I shatter that other vision into a million pieces like a plate glass window, and it's gone. Like I threw a rock through it. That can never be put back together, and I lock this in. I see it in color. I can feel it. So then, as I'm doing this pattern up and down with my body, something releases behind my eyeball, trippiest thing ever, and I start my whole left side of my face starts to go purple. And the trainer that was doing the work with us freaks out. She thinks I'm having like an aneurysm or something. And goes running over. She's like, Dave, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, my headache. The headache that I had on the left side of my temples is releasing. I could feel it. It was like a hot water balloon just spraying around inside my head. And I literally had the physical release from this emotional exercise that I was doing. I'm like, whoa. It's all connected somehow. I didn't really understand the concept, but I called my wife that night. I knew I was going to start to heal. So I started to keep putting myself in these positions. I went vegan. I'm like, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do the opposite because this isn't working. So instead of drinking, I cut out drinking. Instead of uh, eating all this protein-based diet, I literally went vegan. And I went like vegan for like 
almost 90 days. So just completely shifted my system because whatever I was doing wasn't working. So I did the opposite. Got on some cleansing supplements and things like that. Sort of meditating. Like everything that was opposite of what I was. Suddenly the lights are turning back on. I start to, you know, I keep putting myself in front of these body workers and healers and energy workers, all these people. And like the laser to come back on and I'm like, wow. I remember I saw this guy who I wrote about in the book. He shoved balloons up my nose, popped the front plates out of my face, bleeding everywhere. Totally like weirdos that I was working with. <laughs> I laid on these magnetic mats. They did all these adjustments on my neck and everything. I remember like after three days with this guy, I'm like, I might be able to like play again. And I went for a five mile jog that well, I hadn't been able to exercise at all. Like all these weird crazy things, but I would continue to seek it out and to try to find the answer. So what, what's the answer? I mean, baby steps. I started, I, I started with a walk to my stop sign and back, and then I would do it twice. And I'd walk to the second stop sign that I see and back. I started walking. And then a couple of years later, well, actually uh, it was last year was 20. So probably eight years later, I ran a 140 mile race. And under forty point six, and those those tears at the end were me understanding like I never thought I'd run again. I never thought I could pedal a bike again. Like I was bad shape. So like, thank you, God. Thank you for this second chance. I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to play hard. If He gives me this body, He wants to see me use it. I got to use it. Like it, it's a shame if He gives you this healthy vessel to use and we just wasted by sitting on the couch eating bonbons. Like I'm just not that guy and. Like, uh, I, I would say that I don't judge anybody that does that, and I don't. I think they're great people, but I also think like there's a there's something they're missing, a lot that they can be experiencing. We've got mountains to hike, we've got rivers to play in, we've got oceans to swim in. Like, I just, I don't know. I want to play hard while I'm here. Who knows when that'll be? You know, when your time's up. Like, I want to play as hard as I can, and I got a second shot at this thing, and. I just want to experience everything. Quiet time for me to center myself before I'm about to go have an epic day. I head to the gym. My workouts are pretty short and hard. Uh, 30 minutes of pretty intense weight training with not a lot of rest in between. Four or five sets of different exercises. I've created a, a health program that I use of my own. I come home at cold tub. Uh, probably three minutes at 39 degrees. Um, full body all the way under, then just uh, my neck's out, everything else is in for the rest of the three minutes. I jump in the rinse off of the shower, grab a protein shake, start coaching calls. I usually start at eight o'clock or once my kids are off to school, I start work. And I don't really stop until usually five, uh, four, four or five. Uh, and I do all different kinds of stuff. I'm writing two more books. Um, I'm, uh, creating new programs. Um, you know, it's never boring. Like every single day, well, you know, you call me and you're like, what are you up to? I'm like, well, I'm doing this right now. <laughs> Jeez, like, you know, I, and I, I text you and you're like, I'm at the top of Campbellback Mountain and you got to wait vest on and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's my boy. You know, so it's, it's uh, you know, I try to create a date night once a week with my wife uh, just because it's busy. I got hockey six nights a week with my kids. So I'm a hockey coach too. I run, I got to coach all my clients and I go and I coach kids. I just feel like my dad was kind of like that. And I feel like it's sort of what I'm 
good at. And well, you're obviously good at it. And you've got uh, All Star Coaching, yeah, which you coach high performers. And uh, I'm one of your clients. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, me too. Um, it seems to me that your calling is to coach yeah. and lead and guide. Yeah, I, I I know it is, and and I'm if I actually feel like when I'm doing it, I'm in flow state. If I if I'm screwing around doing other stuff, it doesn't really work. Like it's like this is what you're here for. Like just just do it. And I was sharing with you off camera. I had a lady that called me this morning that isn't hasn't been a client. She bought us a, a, a program from me a year ago or something, and I just reached out to check in on her. Completely random, but then there was just this beautiful God stuff that was flowing through me to help her. I knew she wasn't gonna sign up for any big program or anything. She's, I was just literally just helping her to help her. And I got off the phone and I had tears in my eyes. She sent me a message after, like, "Thank you so much, your blessing, and all this stuff." And like. That's what it's about, man. It's like we have so much to offer, and if we go to the grave with it, we help nobody. So that was one of my messages to her. Is I said, you can help a lot of people, but you're just scared to do it right now because you're worried about people judging you. And I said, you're hurting other people because they don't know your information that you could be sharing with them that could help them today. I said, it's your duty, like it's your mission. And she just was like, wow, thank you for calling me out. Pretty pretty interesting. I got a coincidence to share with you. So this morning, uh, I wanted to catch up with someone I hadn't seen in a while. So uh, we've been talking for the last few months about just grabbing coffee one morning. So we got together this morning, and um, we've done some work together in the past, but it's been a while. And he's like, you know, I I heard you're doing something different, and and so anyway, we got together for coffee. We just started talking. We spent the first forty minutes just catching up, and he had been in New York, and I just got back from New York, and. And he was talking about his kids and talking about my kids and et cetera. And he, and he asked me what we're doing. And I told him about this white glove concierge program and, and so forth. And, and he's really over the years got into real estate and uh, he runs a business, successful business, but they bought up a lot of real estate over the years. And he was kind of breaking it down and it was pretty impressive. They, they own things all over the valley. And, uh, and, when I explained what he was doing, what I was doing for people about just kind of being like a business manager, family office type program, he uh, he's like, oh my God, I've actually been looking for something like that. And it's funny because I almost didn't even bring it up to him. Yeah. And uh, you actually helped me with that. You're like, don't, don't you know, you got to lean in. You got to let people know what you're doing. Because you may have asked me this, but some other friends have no idea what the scope of that work that we do. And I hear that a lot from people because for 30 years it was their their perception was that I did something different. Mm-hmm. So it's been interesting. You gotta I, I just echo that point. Just let it out, let people know and, and yeah, people the, the work you're doing is, is super special. It can save people a ton of money, especially like the one example that you shared with me in one of our calls, right? That person's paying so much in fees when you could just absolutely help them a different way in a better way. And they don't know, they just aren't aware that their advisor may not have the best interests in hand and they're trying to make a, a fast commission. And, and, you know, I believe what you do allows you to be a true fiduciary and what you're trying to do. And, you know, the, the term fiduciary is that you're doing what's in the best interest of the client. And 
you know, the way that you have things set up, it allows you to do that so seamlessly. And it's truly what's best for the client. There's no difference to you on which way they go. I think that's like what the world should be, right? It's not exchange of, of value and they get the access to the white club service and, and the high level um, services that you provide. And I think uh, it's smart. I think it's cutting edge and I think it's probably the way that everyone will do things eventually, but you're just kind of one of the first guys doing it. Well, you know, the fun thing is what you mentioned is when you actually do make that impact. And, you know, it's it's one thing to make an impact financially for people. I mean, that's super important, but it's almost like that Maslow's hierarchy as you work up that ladder. Once you get everything secure, you know you got enough, you get everything squared away that you want financially, then they, people can start thinking about the bigger payoff items like relationships, their health. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we're not going to be looking at our bank account balance and, and be that's not going to be our most important achievement. I wouldn't think it's going to be the relationships that we had, how we felt later in life. Yeah. You help. You helped me understand the difference that, you know, there's a difference to just playing the game and, and actually going out and playing like an all-star yeah. or a pro. Yeah. Let me, let me, I got another great story. Uh, Jeremy Roenick was a client of mine and he's a superstar NHL player. And, um, Jared is just awesome. He's one of my favorite humans. And, uh, um, he, he, I was interviewing him for this documentary that I was filming called Hockey Star Secrets. And, uh, it was called Hockey Star Secrets, and I'll probably release it as a podcast because it's so good. But I went to all these NHL guys, and they got their secrets on how they made it and what they went through. The stories are incredible. Everybody's crying. It's like just super intense and stuff that they wouldn't tell a normal reporter. So they gave me all the goodies. One of the things JR said to me, I'm interviewing him, and I said, wow, you made the All-Star game uh, nine years, I think, nine or something like that. I go, that's incredible. Like nine all-star games, you're one of the top 40 best players in the world. He's like, bullshit, it's terrible. And I go, what? I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, I played 20 years, bro. He goes, what, what, those, what was I doing those other 11 years? I should have been all-star every year. He goes, no offense, Dave, but that's still between me and you. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So I'm behind the camera, right? And I'm like tuning in. I'm like, okay, tell me. He goes, well, I guarantee you wanted to make the NHL and you made the NHL, right? Yes. I guarantee you, you made the NHL and then had vision. Gaps. We're an all-star. I said, no, I wasn't. He goes, so when did you take your foot off the gas? And like my brain's doing this thing. I'm like, well, I don't think I did. I think I was pretty hardworking. I did. But maybe subconsciously, I just conceded that I was never going to get picked. I, I scored 27 goals one year. I led my Islander team in goals. Nobody even mentioned my name. I, my name never even got brought up as a potential all-star, okay? Because I was kind of a third-line guy, a physical player. I wasn't a superstar or whatever. And I said, maybe subconsciously, like, I did. And then I started looking forward to the break of three days to ice my shoulders down and ice my body down and just go cobble for a day or two and have a couple of margaritas and like get a couple of days off in the middle of a busy season. It's not me. He goes, I'd pout, I'd sit at home and I'd watch the all-star game and say, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that guy. So why aren't I there? What? So he goes, I never took my foot off the gas, but you did. 
wow. So I started questioning my clients. And I'm like, well, when did you take the foot off your gas in your relationship? When did you take the foot off your gas on your finances? You're 30 pounds overweight. When did you take your foot off the gas for your health? It's so good. It's, good so, it's so good. People are sitting there and you can see like, <laughs> you know, the neural pathways going in their brain. And they're like, did I, did I know? What do I, am I, do I need to think about this? Like, it's like they get, it's a pattern interrupt and it calls you out on your stuff. And, you know, in a weird way, we've all taken our foot off the gas at certain points, at certain times, not on purpose, just, it just sort of happens. When he called me out on that. And then after that, uh, after that interview, it was a few years ago, I bought allstarcoaching.com and I bought that domain because it was just such a perfect, like, it was like, I, I wanted that domain. So that, that's how we started all-star coaching. And I, before that I was Dave Sketcher, big performance coaching, but, um, it's just funny that he called me out on my own interview and the words were so good. Like, so when did you take the foot off the gas in your? So one of the things that I want to ask you that is you've already gone from where you were as a kid to the NHL, then your struggles, and back up to an uh, amazing um, bestseller book and uh, the comeback. And then you have a all-star coaching program where you're coaching seven-figure people to 2X, 3X, 10X that. Mm-hmm. Of all walks of life, uh, yeah. And you're also helping. You're doing the give back. You do a lot of give back. You do a lot of um, free work out there. Um, what's next? Uh, what are some of your big goals as yeah, you move forward? Yeah. Well, October first, uh, I'm hiring a podcast coordinator, so I'm going to be launching a podcast. I think I'm going to take that body of work with the hockey players and I'll already have like 15 completed, 20 completed. Awesome. Uh, I was planning on being on film with Netflix and stuff and Netflix told me it was too positive. <laughs> so I was, I'm like, screw it. I'll build a podcast around it. He grew up in a, in a mental uh, facility. Like his parents owned one. So there were crazy people walking around all the time and he'd lock himself in his room because he's so scared and he'd sleep on a mattress on the floor. Nobody knows that story about him. It's wild. And he's a super famous goalie, all-star, all that. But he grew up like crazy. His parents wouldn't go to so a neighbor kid, gave him some equipment, and da, 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 and he made the NHL like that. Like no support. Wow. So what's your excuse? Like what's your, we all can make an excuse. I'm too short. I'm, I have no support of parents. I don't have any money growing up. I, we we're broke. Like I don't. It doesn't matter. I have examples of people who've made it with the same story. So you can choose your own adventure. How do you want to write the ending to your story right now? There's people out there that have potential without energy is just neutral. All the greatest potential in the world, but you got to put some energy into it. This is another great point. And this is a, another Donnie Epstein thing, but Donnie says if, if something in your life is not working, there's not, not, not enough not the right quality of energy being driven towards it. You can think about that. If your health sucks, you're probably not focusing the right amount of energy or the right quality of energy towards your health. Try going other places. If your money and your finances suck, probably not focusing on it with the right type of energy, the right amount of energy or the right person in your corner. If your relationship sucks, 
probably not the right quality of energy. It's probably going somewhere else, not towards your significant other. It's a super simple formula, but we don't focus on it. We don't. Well, that's one podcast when you say finding your financial flow. How does that relate to achieving financial goals? And it's really a, a lot of what is not being talked about. It's where's your energy? You know, what what are other people doing or what have they done? Oftentimes it is all the things, you know, it's the meditation, it's it's getting up early, having a certain light protocol, getting your body in a certain frame of mind to really make positive decisions. What is your why? What what's the big why? What is the reason why you're trying to achieve those different financial goals? It's not so much as the how and the what. That can be delegated and, and handled. What's driving you to get there? And then what's the bigger purpose? So it's it's interesting. It's a great point. And I think like people see the end result, the end of an Ironman. Oh, that's amazing, dude. How did you do that? Well, they didn't see the hours I put up in, in the, the, the training. They didn't see the swims. They didn't see me practically drowning because I don't know how to swim good. Like they don't know that I backstroked half of the, half of the race <laughs> on my back because I was, I was, to be honest, struggling with getting kicked in the face and going too fast. Um, they, they don't know the stories. They don't know the hundred shots a day for how many years they don't know running in the rain with my discman like this. Try not to get the CD to skip. Remember the discman? I used to jog with one, hold it like a serving train. Oh, uh, you know, they don't see those things. They don't see the stories of, of the work that goes into it. And, um, you know, the layers of building of the foundation that are so important and, you know, part of, oh yeah, this is what I was going to say, is when we would play a seven o'clock game, I would get to the rink at four o'clock. You would be preparing for three hours before the game. So my body would be warm. I would have done more working out before the game started than most people would do it a whole day of working out. And I got a game to play still. Like they just see you on the ice. All oh, these guys are so fast. They're so agile. Well, they don't know that I had my body was stiffer than a stiffer than anything. I could barely walk. I broke my toe the day before. They don't see me in the ice tub. They don't see me get the massage. They don't see me preparing for the for the show. You don't just show up in your morning and expect it to go amazing. There's a preparation phase. There's a warm up phase. That's why I do my workout, build my energy. That's why I do my cold tub. That's why I do my meditation. I'm preparing to play the game hard for that day. My workouts aren't even like my thing. My habit, my gate day starts at eight o'clock. My kids are out the door and I've loved on them and they're loaded up and go to school. Now it's my job to crush the day. And you, you've shown up in my office. I haven't been dragging ass at four o'clock. I've been fucking pumping. I've been going hard yeah. and, and like, I still got juice. You know, it's just how you have, it's a way of being that you're, you're manifesting daily, but if you get, you know, drunk and you're hungover and you're trying to pull out a great day and you wake up at 11 and you're just like, it doesn't serve anybody. So you just choose. It's a, a series of choices will dictate how your life looks. Yeah. Well said. Well said, Sketch. Yeah, buddy. Well, thank you so much for coming down today. Really appreciate it. I hope you Guys, all enjoyed uh, listening or watching, however you tuned in. And if you enjoyed today, please give us a thumbs up uh, or like us. 
and share with your friends on social media um, if you liked us and uh, really appreciate you tuning in and make it a great day. This was the Financial Flow Podcast with me, Darren Wright. Thank you for listening. And I hope that today you were inspired and informed to move even more into your peak financial flow for success. Oh,